When I shoot my shot, it's the wild way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a buck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand on like, woo! Bitch, you were with me shooting in the gym? Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you can live through anything if magic made it. About to be a surgical summer. Chop the tops off the coops. And you know we gotta cut the heads off these snakes, right? Right, 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 right. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy Marcellus Ease, and don't panic quite yet. Now we finally got Leon Rose to pop out of the woodworks and finally give an interview, but the interview definitely came with a lot of trick bags in it. A lot of media games that they like to play, but don't worry about it because we're going to break this down layer by layer. We just going to peel it back layer by layer. Because definitely for Leon Rose this summer, it's definitely going to be a surgical summer because unlike previous Nick presidents, Rose has actually had a chance to come to the squad with an empty canvas to paint on. He doesn't have to dump salary and fire coaches. He actually got to come in to choose his own head coach. He had the open availability of having plenty of picks plenty of cap space to actually design his team in a way that he saw fit. So Leon Rose is beginning to reach a pivotal point in his reign as Knicks president, where he's going to have to start answering a few questions on the decisions that he's made. And boy, the rollout of this interview was insane. And especially the timing of it. Tick, tick, tick. How much time he got that man is. First of all, they rolled out this interview in the part of the season in which the fan base already know we're not making the playoffs. So a lot of them already checked out on watching the games, especially with Julius Randle not playing the last two weeks of the season and then RJ having that injury. So the last game of the season in which they rolled out this interview in the pregame show already with no RJ, no Randle. And I'm pretty sure they already had the analytics showing that a lot of the fan base had already dropped off from the ratings. That's when they decided to drop this interview. Very interesting, but pay attention to the timing because these are the type of media games they like to play. And we also got to look at the fact that the only way you could have seen the full interview was during the pregame show because there is no replay of it on the MSG Go app. Also on their social media accounts, there's no actual full replay of this interview, which is ironic. And then they sprinkled the interview parts of it throughout the game when it was airing live. So why this interview is kind of being put in the tuck, I don't know. Because it was an in-house MSG interview, it's not like Mike Breen was going to ask him a bunch of tough questions. Not like outside media, because I'm pretty sure if it was outside media, they would have questioned him on Kimball Walker, how they took that gamble, and now that it didn't work out, what's their next idea or next plan, how they're going to approach that, or can they actually go young and rebuild and develop while Tibbs is the coach? Because as we all can see throughout the season, he's kind of stuck in his ways with certain lineups. And also an outside media source will question him on his trade for Cam Reddish 
while Tibbs clearly had a hesitation about playing him. What was the thinking behind that? But we definitely gonna hear what Leon Rose had to say because I waited a few days to see if the full interview would come out and it never did. But moves like these had definitely confirmed what I thought and what I said in the last episode. I believe is part of his contract in which they kind of shield him from the media and protect his image because Leon Rose is a private guy and he is a big dog in this NBA space in which he has a long history of just having a good reputation among those NBA inner circles. But that noise is getting louder from the fan base wanting to hear from Leon Rose and they acknowledge that in this interview. You know, you've talked a lot about the Nick fans and how passionate they are and how wonderful they are. And they want to hear from you. And we've kidded you before about this. You're a private person. You don't love being in the spotlight. You like just going about doing your job. But as you know, the, the success you had before you came here was all about relationships. Well, the fans want to have a relationship with you too and they want to hear from you. So when you tell them this, it, it, it means something to them. Can we hear more from you for the fans? Because I've had fans say to me, we need more from, from hearing from Can we hear more from you in terms of talking to the fans to let them know where you think the team is and where they have to go? No, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I want to please the fans. That's, you know, very much important to me, important to this organization from the standpoint of giving them something they can be proud of, they can root for, they can feel good about. And, you know, anything I can do to contribute to that, I want to do it. Now, that was a nice way of him telling the fan base what they want to hear. But at the same time, he didn't really tell them nothing. And it's very unfortunate because I understand that Leon Rose is a private guy. But the media landscape today, especially with social media, they're going to be at some point pressured to respond to the noise. The same way Julius Randle has been pressured to respond to a lot of the noise this season. And Mike Breen even asking that question is the acknowledgement that they're feeling some of the pressures and hearing a lot of the noise that's being made on social media. This Leon Rose reign is going to be very interesting because we're dealing here with a private guy that's working in an environment where he has direct to consumer feedback off rip, especially due to the fact that he had an empty canvas to paint on when he first came to the Knicks. And he's made a bunch of decisions and now he's going to get judged on it it's only so long that msg can hide leon rose from the fans and the outside media tick, tick, tick. how much time he got that man is now leon rose had also spoke on tom thibodeau which he finds himself in a very unique circumstance with tibbs because they have a long history together and the position that leon rose is in right now in which certain moves ain't work out like the Kimball Walker, and just them having kind of a plethora of young players on the roster, they may have to go through a slow development phase in order to get good. And then when there's an opportunity to make a trade, perhaps for a disgruntled superstar, then they can make that move. But he's going to have to ask himself, is Tibbs going to be the right guy to have to develop young guys, especially to give them plenty of burn on the floor to make sure that they have enough experience? Because Tibbs don't really have a history of doing that. This situation almost reminds me of when you see the rappers, they hire their best friends as security. And then when they go out, they wonder why things tend to happen. Because your homeboy, just like you, you just came out of the club. Y'all both lit. But he's supposed to be your security. You love him. That's your boy. But he clearly can't do the job. He's not fit to do the job right now. The same scenario might go for Tibbs. Leon Rose 
might have a long history of a personal relationship with him. But right now, the fact that there's barely any free agents to go get, the team can't just win off rip right away. You can't build it that way. We're going to have to go through a slow process of just kind of developing and rebuilding. Is Tibbs the right guy to have? Once again, this situation reminds me of the rapper that has his homeboy as security. I'm like, damn, they both just stepped out the club lit. And this is supposed to be his security. Even though the rapper's homeboy may be built up and look scary and look like he could do the security job. But the fact that he can't control himself around all the liquor and women, he's just not the right fit for the current situation. So adjustments should be made, but that might end up being your ass. And the same thing would apply here with Tibbs. If they're going to have to go young for a while, he's going to have to look at Tibbs. And if Tibbs ain't the right fit and he takes too long to make adjustments, he might just end up being on the chopping block. But Leon Rose, just like the rapper, he still gives his homeboy a vote of confidence to do the job. As far as, uh, as Tibbs' performance goes, I mean, again, he's you know one of the best coaches in the nba um t obviously none of us are happy with the results this year um but uh he's a guy who you know prepares our team better than better than anybody um and uh you know i feel that he's done a good job under the circumstances now a good follow-up question to that would be what are the circumstances in his eyes that he views that tibbs is under because right there, Leon would then have to acknowledge the slip up at point guard that the Knicks are lacking. And it's leading up to Tibbs having to struggle to balance and juggle his rotations. And also it's leading to a lot of struggles for Julius Randle because he's not getting the ball in his position. He's getting the ball at the top of the key at the three point line. But moving along right after this clip of Leon Rose speaking about Tibbs aired, Mike Breen and Walt Clyde Frazier actually spoke about some of the loud noise that's being made about Tibbs' reputation about playing young guys. Once again, this is proof of the acknowledgement of a lot of the online noise that's being made about Tibbs and certain things coming from the fan base. Leon Rose, a private man, has to go from dealing with the NBA on the back end side where he normally doesn't have to hear from the consumers to now being front facing where his job results gets direct feedback from the NBA consumers, AKA the fans. That's gonna be something completely new to him. Tom had the reputation for not playing younger players. He was very inflexible, but we saw that flexibility this season. Well, Quentin Grimes became part of the rotation before a couple of times his progress was halted because of various things. And meanwhile, now you're seeing these guys like topping and quickly get a lot of time. And some want to see even more time for the younger players. Right. But I've had so many coaches, and UB Brown has, has always talked about this. It's hard to question coaches' rotations when you're not at practice every day and seeing what the guys are doing. And when you know you know what the, the sets both offensive and defensive are, and you know who's made the mistake. Mike Breen is right about us not being at the practices, but there are a couple of contradictions in this whole scenario because Leon Rose then talks about building the team the right way, taking their time on decision makings as far as trades, etc., and the team having a lot of draft picks. I believe he said we had 13 draft picks over the next three years, including four first round picks. And then we already have a lot of young guys on the roster. 
So these things adding up with Tibbs, it doesn't really make any sense. Building the slow way, especially with a coach that's stubborn playing young guys and just having more pieces to add more young guys to the team. So it continues to make us ask ourselves, is rebuilding in a slow way even possible with Tibbs as your head coach? Especially with the vote of confidence Leon Rose gave to Tibbs earlier in the interview. One of the questions I asked him was, when he first took over, he said he was going to build it the right way, be pragmatic in his approach. We asked him after a rough season like that, will they keep that same mindset? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have to stick to the plan. We have to take it one step, build one block at a time, be patient. We feel like we're set up, you know, really well as far as like we've got 13 draft picks over the next three drafts, uh, four first round picks. And uh, with regard to opportunities that may come along, we feel like we're very flexible and able to do that. But again, we want to show patience. We want to show prudence, you know, in making those decisions and continuing to develop what we have. I'm telling you, all them injuries at the end of this season, they actually showed a proof of concept with playing the younger guys. The fan base saw quickly getting triple doubles. We've seen Obi having 30-point games, then a 42-point game. That kind of threw a monkey wrench on the public perception of Tibbs, as now a lot of the fans, they're going to double down on their stance that Tibbs is very stubborn to play the younger guys. After seeing the proof of concept at the end of the season, seeing guys like Obi and quickly flourish. But Leon Rose also touched base on how some of the young guys took advantage of this year's minutes, but also pay attention to how he matches up Julius Randle's timeline with some of the younger guys which I always tell you guys, Julius Randle is part of the plan going forward, but I'll break down why later on in the show. These guys have gotten an opportunity and taken advantage of it. And, you know, for us, that is, that's very exciting. I mean, Jericho going against starting centers, the 58th pick in the draft. Uh, Obi, the last, you know, week or so has just, you know, taken it to another level, scoring a career-high 35 last game. Um, Quentin, who, you know, had already established himself in the rotation. Deuce getting minutes uh, and doing a good job with it. Quick playing point guard and showing some great signs. And, you know, RJ, we forget RJ's only 21 years old. We have nine players on our team that are 24 years old or younger. And, um, you know, and Julius is only 27. So, you know, all those things take, you know, that we look at that like, you know, development is key. And this, this part since this part of the season, we've seen some good development and we just need to work and continue on and build on that. Nine plays out of 15 is under the age of 24. And just hearing Leon Rose talk about development at this point of the season, you see their hand was forced now to start playing the younger guys more minutes with Julius being out, RJ being out, you know, Cam Reddish getting hurt. The lineup started getting depleted a little bit. Now they're forced to play the young guys. And even though half the team is under the age of 24, it still doesn't seem like developing the younger guys was ever a priority. See, this is where this is where it's hard to take Leon Rose serious right here. But due to the fact that half your roster is young and then you have 13 more draft picks for the next three years and just a depleted free agency once again, you're going to have no choice but to develop. It's looking like that's the more likely way this team is going to take. 
unless they're willing to blow everything up, get rid of all these draft picks, end up losing some key players, including RJ. If guys want to go after Donovan Mitchell, RJ will be gone. That will be part of the package. And I don't think it's worth that. But waiting to the very end of the season to start developing some of your young guys, it's very hard to judge the stats that they put up because a lot of teams pretty much begin to start checking out or they already secured their playoff positioning. They're kind of dialing things back a little bit, going on cruise control and trying to trying to stay healthy for the playoffs. It's definitely hard to judge, but Mike Breen touched base on this during the broadcast. But we said this the other night, Clyde. End of the season, games like this, when, for example, this game, game means nothing to the Raptors. Obviously, the Knicks have been eliminated from any kind of postseason or playing participation for a while now. You can't get seduced by some of the performances in the final weeks after a team has been eliminated. Because if you look down, half the league's players, their career high is in mid-April. When games don't clear, a lot of guys have their career high April 15th or April 8th or when the games don't matter as much. So you do have to be careful when you're evaluating and making decisions based off games this late in the season that don't have the same meaning. At the same time, forget that. You can still see real growth and potential by some of these young Knicks. Yep, you're right. Well, th these guys have all the analytics, so... They know when the team is under pressure and when the guys play. So that's what the Knicks will have to figure out. I, I think it's one of the toughest things for a front office to do because, you know, you have your players, you want your players to develop, you see them putting up some good numbers in the season, but at the same time, you have to better, you have to be real careful in terms of your definitive evaluations. Mike Breen nailed it right on the head. And some of our fellow Knicks fans who love Obi, who love quickly, especially when they start, been pleading tips all season just start them just start them you can't tell them nothing but they're not going to want to hear this because from october to january there's only about 850 point games and then the last few weeks of the season from march 9th through march 23rd there were 950 point games that's how much players at the end of the season take their foot off the gas so it's kind of hard to judge guys when they kind of go off at the end of the season because we all know a lot of teams already established getting into the playoffs. They're trying to get healthy. And the lines tend to get blurred on how good some of these guys really are. Putting up a 30-piece, a 40-piece, a 50-piece. Things tend to get crazy. Once again, from the beginning of the season, from October to January, there was only about eight 50-point games. And then in the last three weeks of March... There was nine 50-point games in a 14-day in a span. That's how much guys take the foot off the gas. So once again, we love to see OB and quickly do their thing, but we can't just go off of those few games at the end of the season and just say, hey, fuck Randall, start OB, and then put quickly as a starting point guard. We're still going to need a little more time to have a proof of concept with both of those guys putting in work from the beginning of the season all the way into the end but it's also a blessing in disguise because now this kind of throws an alley hoop for maybe the front office to put a little pressure on Tibbs to play some of the younger guys for more extended periods of time now leon rose was also asked about some of the upcoming contracts especially involving rj barrett and mitchell robinson which i found very interesting because remember this is an in-house interview so it's an msg interview 
So I don't know if they're kind of leveraged certain questions to kind of get a picture to Mitchell Robinson that they want to negotiate more because he talked about how he's still in negotiations with Mitchell Robinson all the way through until free agency. So that's interesting that they threw that question in there. So once again, you got to pay attention to the media games here because this is an in-house MSG interview. So tough questions won't be asked. But I was surprised they asked about Mitchell's contract. That tells me that they're probably kind of took a break from negotiations, but they kind of threw it out there that they're still trying to negotiate with Mitch. So they're trying to let their camp know something through this interview. Or they're trying to let the fan base down easy by letting them know, hey, we've been trying to negotiate with Mitch this whole time and we ended up losing him. But remember, we told you guys back in the springtime that we were negotiating with him all the way up until free agency. These are the media tricks that they play, man. Boy, I'm telling you, why would they throw that question in there in an in-house MSG interview? There's a reason why they, they, they talked about Mitch. They didn't throw in any tough questions throughout the whole interview. But they threw in the most toughest question to ask about because we knew all season the Knicks were in negotiations with Mitch back and forth, but still there was no agreement. So to throw in a Mitchell Robinson contract was probably throwing in the most done data of all tough questions you could ask. But there's a reason that they put that question in there. Remember, this is a completely controlled interview. All the questions being asked was already gone over. Well, with Mitchell, you know, there's been ongoing discussions throughout the year with his agent, and, um, you know, those those discussions will continue um, and uh, will, you know, continue into uh, for the remainder of the time until free agency. All right, what did you see from him this year? From Mitchell? Uh, I saw Mitchell. Mitchell had a phenomenal year. He, you know, was our anchor on defense um, and uh, really took a, took a nice step this year. And uh, even showed us a little bit on offense, you know? I mean, especially that one through the legs, down the lane, and, and, and then the dunk. And it's an unfortunate thing that Leon Rose has no leverage in these negotiations at all. Remember, it's all about the timing. And the timing of this situation, Mitchell Robinson last summer, when we had the leverage, he was coming off a season where he was not healthy for the whole year. And throughout his career, we really haven't seen consistency from month in and month out from Mitch. And that led us up to last summer in which the Knicks opted in into his final year for another $1.5 So he's made about $5 million in the last four years with the Knicks. He's probably gotten paid like $1.5 per year or $1.2 per year. Overall, in the four years he's been with us, once again, he's made $5 million dollars. So we know for sure he's looking to get paid. And there's other teams, probably with more cap space, if they throw the $18 million a year at Mitch, you know he's going to go for it. Once again, from Mitchell Robinson's perspective, he's looking at how the Knicks operated last season. They opted in and paid him another million dollars for another year, thus making him an unrestricted free agent this summer. They drafted Jericho Sims, and then they paid Nerlens Noel money. So the two guys that sit behind Mitch got paid and they opted in to underpay Mitch for another year. So we got to keep this in mind to understand the mindset of how Mitch is going to attack this year's free agency. He's looking to get paid. And let's not forget his uncle, how he went on Twitter and he said that he loved the Knicks, but he does not like 
Mitch's offensive role with the Knicks, and he can't wait to get his nephew off that team. That's what his uncle said. You know how the new media games work. A lot of the players are speaking through their family members. We've seen it play out with Kawhi. We see it play out with Zion Williams and now Mitch. Once again, we got to look at why in this interview that was filled with alley hoop questions from in-house media members included questioning on Mitchell Robinson's contract. There's a reason why these things were put in there. And in my opinion, the Knicks are beginning to set up a nice cushion for a soft landing for Nick fans to realize that they have lost Mitchell Robinson. Easy money. Now, Leon Rose also spoke about R.J. Barrett's upcoming contract. Before the start of next season, the Knicks do have the opportunity to give him a rookie max scale extension. But unlike the Mitchell Robinson's contract questioning, Leon Rose chose not to divulge any information on the R.J. Barrett's contract negotiations. Once again, his response to the R.J. contract negotiation question, it just tells me everything I need to know about Mitch. And in my opinion, I believe he's already gone. But as far as RJ, RJ is going to negotiate his contract from a very unique position. I believe he may apply some pressure for the Knicks to get him some outside help. RJ took a, took a great step this year, um, took a more responsibility, uh, covered the best player on the other team on a, on a nightly basis and um, has really elevated his game. Um, I can't really put a ceiling on where he'll go. As far as, you know, the plan and negotiations, uh, you know, I think we'll keep that private for now. RJ's contract situation is a little different. The Knicks, of course, they have the highest odds of resigning him. It should eventually go that way. But the only thing I say is unique is because RJ, for a third round pick, he's a little bit under performance wise. He's a little bit under what his peers did around that same pick range in the draft. Um, the contract he's eligible for is the same contract Jason Tatum got, uh, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young. You know, that around, I believe, four years or five years, 180. A lot of that is incentive based. You know, you got to make the all star, you know, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, NBA first teams you got to make in order to hit that full amount. But I'm not sure if the Knicks are going to be willing to go that full amount. They actually might get him on a discount. Who knows? But the likeliness of the Knicks re-signing him is very high. I just don't know what the amount is going to be for. But once again, the fact that Leon Rose did not even give a hint about how the negotiations are going for with that contract with RJ, it just tells me everything I need to know about Mitch. Mitch is pretty much gone. Surgical Summer Volume 1. Right about now, we're going to start to change the pace and change the style. Now for the curious case of Julius Randle, I did say earlier that the Knicks do have him at an advantageous position, especially at his price point. But we're going to break this down layer by layer. We're just going to peel it back layer by layer. Because like a true surgeon, you got to take your time when you're snipping through those vital organs. Surgical summer with it. Snip, snip, snip. So we're going to hear what Leon Rose had to say about Julius. And we're also going to hear from Julius Randle himself. And I'm also going to pull out receipts showing proof that the Knicks do have Julius Randle at a really good advantage. And due to the business model of today's media, a lot of the Knicks fan base is being tricked out of their positioning with Julius Randle. And let me explain it this way. When the media covers the Knicks, it's either they cover them at a high point or really low point. There's no in between. So when it comes to the Knicks, 
The business model is either you're trolling the fan base or you're talking about their high points. And this season, the media has figured out that Julius Randle is the trigger point to get the Knicks fans turned up. It's almost like the media have figured out this season that Randle's name triggers the algorithm. So the name of the game all season is to write articles that can trigger the Knicks fan base to go against Julius. That's how you get the clicks. That's how you get the eyeballs to watch all the segments on ESPN, etc. Julius Randle is almost a keyword that triggers a lot of Knicks fans this season. So the media understands that, and that's the business model that's going on right now. Once again, like I said before, you could get tricked out of your positioning. And what I mean by that is that if you guys think back to a rapper named Ja Rule, a guy named 50 Cent had tricked Ja Rule out of his positioning with some of the music and the business model that they had, making all those girly songs that were huge hits, kind of timeless records. But 50 Cent told Ja Rule that he was soft for making those tracks. And then Ja Rule fell for the trick. He stopped making those songs and he focused on beefing with 50 Cent. And by the time 50 Cent won the beef, he ended up trying to use the same business model Ja Rule had by making a song called Candy Shop, trying to appeal to the same exact demo, making those girly songs. Once again, you could get tricked out of your positioning and your haters tend to see a value that you have that they want. AKA the Knicks fan base is a real basketball fan base, which ESPN want their eyeballs for viewership and a lot of journalists want them to click on their articles so they can run ads. That's the name of the game. And there's been way too many fake articles this season talking about Julius Randle said he wants out of New York. And it's coming from major beat writers. I've seen Bagley write articles. Of course, I've seen the mega troll Mark Berman from the New York Post going in. Remember, the name of the game is to troll your ass. And they're definitely going to keep doing that. It's the same way like in ESPN, anytime the Cowboys lose, they have Stephen A. Smith trolling the Cowboys fan base. But best believe when the Knicks are having struggles, they tell Stephen A. Smith put on a better acting job for the Knicks losing than the Cowboys losing. Once again, they tell Stephen A. Smith, you better put on a better acting job for when the Knicks lose than when the Cowboys lose. <laughs> you know I'm surgical with this bitch, Jake. But later on in the segment, I will be providing receipts to show Julius Randle's value to the Knicks and also the disconnect that the fan base is having from looking at his contract. But first, we're going to see what Leon Rose had to say about Julius and some of his struggles this season. Julius is a passionate, you know, player. He's a person who, um, I mean, last year everything went right. Obviously, this year things didn't go right. But, you know, he still wound up one of three players to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. You know, one of three players in the entire NBA. Um, you know, I think that uh, the, the things that happen on the court, you know, you saw some emotion coming out, you saw some things happening, and I think that, you know, it affected his play at times, um, and I think that, uh, you know, he felt remorseful for some of those things as he expressed, you know, to the, to the fans in his letter that, that he sent to them, but um, he you know, kept working and, and worked through it right up until, you know, the end of the season. Now, Leon Rose had pointed out a crucial mistake Julius Randle had made and that he showed a weak point. You have to understand in New York, a slip up like that can end up costing you because the media is looking for a way to cause a rift between you and the fan base. 
And going back to Carmelo Anthony, he spoke on this. As lucky for him, he had a wife that had experience in the New York media landscape, and she possibly schooled him into having composure while he's playing for the Knicks because she already had many years under her belt dealing with the New York media landscape. Like I said before, we're going to peel this back layer by layer. We're just going to peel it back layer by layer. I just got to do what I got to do. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to... I know the media. I know what's happening. I know what they're doing. I, I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? I know what they say. They, It's a hundred of them at practice every single day, right? And you hear the whispers and you hear this. And and so I, I just knew... I knew what I was up against. I knew no matter what, they was going to have something to say. That's Melo right there acknowledging the business model. He understands just peep. And Julius Randle being a Texas boy... He might have just started understanding this season what this media landscape in New York is all about. Right, so it's just like, just go play ball, enjoy it, have fun. Don't never let them, don't, don't, don't let them see you sweat. You know, even if it's bothering you, fuck it, like, get through it. You know what I'm saying? So I had, a, I started rallying my teammates like that and giving them that same mentality. Like, look, this media, they're against us at the end of the day. And as you can see, what's happening in front office, what's happening with, you know, with, with, with PJ, we, we got to leave that alone. Like we have to play. And they started getting, it was like a rally cry. You know what I'm saying? It was like a speech, like, yo, we got to go, man. Like it's us against New York media. It's us against our own organization because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. So imagine the mindset that you have to have and the courage and integrity you have to have to stay in that, to deal with that. I'm talking about, you score 35, you're getting booed. If you don't, you know, if you miss your first three shots, you're getting booed. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, that that was the culture and not everybody, not everybody can handle that. Melo right there giving us an inside scoop on how it is to be in that doghouse. He said it was the whole squad versus the New York media and even against the own organization. But good thing for Julius Randle, he has the backing of his organization. Leon Rose and Tibbs is on his side on this. But once again, listen to Melo speak about how he had to rally the whole team against the media. We're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about a guy who was marketed when he came to New York as New York's own. Brooklyn-born Carmelo, a guy that's beloved by the city. We're not just talking about anybody. Listen to how he had to rally the troops against the media. That's how toxic the environment can get. You know what I'm saying? So I had, a, I started rallying my teammates like that and giving them that same mentality. Like, look, this media, they're against us. It was like a rally cry. You know what I'm saying? Like a speech, like, yo, we got to go, man. But it's us against New York media. It's us against our own organization because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. So imagine the mindset that you have to have and the courage and integrity you have to have to stay in that, to deal with that. I'm talking about, you score 35, you're getting booed. If you don't, you know, if you miss your first three shots, you're getting booed. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, that that was the culture and not everybody, not everybody can handle that. You know, just like Melo in his previous seasons with Phil Jackson while being in New York, Julius is sort of dealing with the same situation with Leon Rose, in which Rose, in his interview, he actually acknowledged that Julius did have a burden this season. Because once again, the gamble that Leon Rose took on Kimball Walker backfired. So the Knicks played the whole season without a point guard, 
thus causing Julius Randle to have the ball in his hands just a little bit too much. He kept receiving the ball at the three-point line or just completely out of position. No one really set him up, and then they forced him to be the creator. And this is happening all at the same time when the league had just changed the defensive rules, thus making it harder to score. And unlike the bubble season, teams are now getting enough time to practice. Let's keep in mind that was not happening during the bubble season. Teams were not practicing as much due to the COVID restrictions. I think that it was just not being comfortable at times. I mean, it was just not being comfortable. He, he gave it his best effort, um, you know, and he, you know, just the three-point shot didn't go as like it did last year. I think teams keyed on him more this year. Uh, and he had, you know, make some adjustments and um, carried a big burden. But I, you know, I was proud of the fact that he, that he did fight through it. Julius loves it here in New York, wants to be in New York. Now, a great follow-up question could have been, would a point guard alleviate some of those uncomfortability issues that he had? But once again, Leon Rose had an in-house MSG interview, and he's really not going to get those tough-to-answer questions. But a lot of Julius Randle's issues this season has been from that Kimball Walker fallout. Just that plan just not working out at all. And when you combine that with Derrick Rose only playing for six weeks, man, you got a disaster in your hands, man. But it's very unfortunate throughout this whole interview with Leon Rose, he was not questioned about the Kimball Walker gamble that ended up backfiring on the Knicks and causing a domino effect on the rest of the team, a.k.a. RJ's inconsistency in the beginning of the year, Randall not actually getting the ball in his position, having to be the facilitator for almost the whole season, especially after Derrick Rose went down. Just him not being questioned on that and what's the next move on getting this corrected because it is having an effect on the rest of the squad. Even Evan Fonier could end up being a better player if we get a proper point guard to distribute the ball. But once again, we must acknowledge through a lot of media games, they have put all this stuff on Julius Randle's shoulders instead. That's pretty much the burden that he referenced to in the last soundbite that I played. But these media games are nothing brand new. Pinning players against fans or just players on the same team against each other. Walt Clive Frazier actually references during the broadcast as the media back even in his day tried to pin him and Willis Reed against each other. The same way kind of subconsciously this season they're trying to pin Obi Toppin against Julius Randle. The other thing Mike that I think people are overlooking when they talk about Toppin and Randle they have them as competitors. They're not competitors. They're on the same team. So they could be good together. And I think Toppin was alluding that, that he and Randall have discussed that playing together at times with different lineups. So, you know, the fans are seeing them as, you guys see them as competition. Like Earl Monroe came to the Knicks. We're not competitors, man. We're on the same team. So we got to bring out the best in each other. When the trade was announced, people said there's no way Clyde Frazier and the Pearl Monroe could play in the same backcourt together. Right. We need two basketballs. I heard you were one of them, Mike, but I didn't know that against you. You know, it's a very unique thing, and it's a very unfortunate thing at the same time. But you got to look at culture. And on the East Coast, it's either one guy got to climb up to the mountaintop and another man falls. We don't tend to think in collaboration. It's either R.J. Barrett rises and Julius Randle falls. It's never both of them can rise at the same time. And subconsciously, a lot of the fan base, they think like this. 
And sometimes it's not our fault because in New York City, that's how it tends to be. It's a constant competition for everything. Once again, that's why I say the culture is very important. And that tends to be an East Coast thing. We don't tend to think of things in collaboration. And we almost do this subconsciously. And this brings me up to my next point. And boy, this is tricky. Because on a subconscious level, a lot of the fan base have a disconnect on the value of Julius Randle's contract. But when it comes to Julius Randle's contract, subconsciously, a lot of Knicks fans think it's a max deal. Even though some of them know that it's not a max deal. And at the same time, they're expecting max deal performances out of Randall. Anything less is absolute garbage in their minds. And once again, all this is happening subconsciously. That's why the vitriol makes perfect sense. But boy, I'm not lying when I say this shit gets tricky. Because even the most acknowledgeable Nick fans can get put in a trick bag on the value of Julius Randall's contract. And one guy I'm referring to is CP, the franchise from Nick Fan TV. He's doing a great job. You guys should definitely check out Nick Fan TV. But he definitely did an interview on one of Bill Simmons' podcasts in which he talked about Julius Randle. But then subconsciously, once again, he had mentioned him as if he's a max player. That's how deep these media games run. That they can throw you into a trick bag and you could be tricked out of your position. Because later on, I will pull up receipts on how valuable Julius Randle's contract really is especially for the output that he's given us. Because what we've seen here thus far this season, or as the season wraps up, what we've seen is that when his offense is impacted, his defense has been impacted. His effort has been impacted mm. as a result. And that's the, the last thing you season, want. You never want that. That's, that's you the never last want thing that. you want. And so as a result of that, combined with the max contract, the pressures of building on last year's success, I think it's impacted him mentally. Now, CP, the franchise from Nick Fan TV. He knows Julius Randle's not under a max contract. But that was his subconscious right there talking. And I've been noticing this the whole season, especially when I'm talking to some of you fellas on the live chat, 8th Avenue Conversations. Definitely check out the email list below to get notifications on that. But during the live chats, a lot of guys, even after I told them Julius Randle's not under a max deal, they still subconsciously, when making their points afterwards, still mention that his output has to match a max salary player. Even though I consistently point out that he's not even a top 40 paid player in the NBA. And for those of you fellas that are watching the video version, this is where I'm gonna pull up the receipts. Now first, as you can see a tweet from Fred Katz, he does a good job covering the Knicks. He officially posts Julius Randle's numbers. And keep in mind, these numbers are in a season in which the Knicks have no point guard. So Julius Randle has been playing out of position and he still put up almost 20 and 10 and 5. Of course, his efficiency, it should be down because he's playing out of position. He keeps getting the ball in these tight spots. He's not getting the ball in stride going to the hoop. So remember, these are the numbers that we're getting from Randall. And we're going to correlate this according to his contract versus other people that's getting paid around the same pay range. We're just going to peel it back layer by layer. Now, as we can see here, Julius Randall for this season is the 47th highest paid player in the NBA. And we got in 20, 10, and five out of him. Now, if you look at some of the players right next to him, Buddy Hill, John Collins, Malcolm Brogdon, Tim Hardaway Jr., Draymond Green, DeRozan. Of course, the Bulls are winning with that DeRozan contract. Jalen Brown's a little bit higher than him. But if you look at that media circle where he's at in between John Collins, Buddy Hill, Brogdon, Tim Hardaway Jr., 
Mike Connolly, we've gotten plenty of output for the money that we're paying him. Now, what makes this even better is that the longer his contract goes, the more the salary cap increases every single season. So his contract in comparison to the league salary cap keeps getting cheaper and cheaper every single season because the other players that are going to sign new contracts every year going forward will sign for higher deals. So his number being 47th highest paid player this season, he's actually going to keep going down that list every other season because the cap is going to keep getting higher. So we're going to get Randall at a discounted price. Even if you compare it to his later years where he's getting paid $25 million a year, $27 million a year, and $29 million a year, if you compare that to the guys that are getting it today, Gordon Hayward, Jamal Murray, Brandon Ingram, De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, which is, he's on, that's a rookie scale contract extension, uh, Bam from Miami, Jason Tatum, that contract is not that bad because by the time those years kick in, Randall's probably going to be the 60th highest paid player because all the new players coming in or just whoever comes up with a contract renewal for the veteran players or the mid-tier players, they're going to get paid more than Randall does. Once again, the more years that go by with Randall staying on the Knicks, the more we get him at a discounted price because the cap keeps going up. And it's important not to fall for the media tricks here because Randall's putting up 20, 10, and 5 in a season in which he has an incomplete roster with no point guard. This is what I mean when I keep saying the media could put you in a trick bag and trick you out of your positioning because you could even look at Jalen Brunson. He qualifies close for what Randall's going to make next season. He could get anywhere from 18 to $23 million a year. And that's just for next year's signing of a free agent class. The year after that, players like him could qualify for more money. So once again, every single season that goes by, Randall's contract in a way becomes a discounted contract. And the only reason that this is happening is due to Magic Johnson's fuck up when he was the president of the Lakers. Once again, the Lakers are the most successful dysfunctional franchise in NBA history. And the Knicks can capitalize off the Julius Randall mistake that they made by letting him go after the fourth year. Because Randall, even after his great performance in 2020 for the Knicks, did not qualify for a super max due to him leaving the Lakers in that fourth year. So once again, the Knicks do have Julius Randall locked in for all of his prime years at a discounted price as long as he stays within the team for the next three to four years as his salary every single year into his contract really gets cheaper versus the Knicks salary cap. Hopefully this creates a good visual for some of you fellas to see the value in Julius Randle's contract, especially Julius being a guy who's been putting up at least 19 and 10 for six seasons prior to signing this deal. He's already a player that's kind of a proven concept that he has a certain stature that he can maintain, which is hovering around being that 20 and 10 guy. Because there's going to be players like Jalen Brunson, who does not really have that many years of proof of concept, who's going to sign a deal close to Randall's deal this summer. Once again, if you look at Julius Randall's high points of his contract for 2024-2025, if you put it in a 2022 ranking, it would only equate to about being anywhere from around the 34th to 40th rank highest paid players in the NBA. 
So can you only imagine when those years come around, Randall's going to be all the way at the bottom. It's probably number 60, number, you know, close to being number 70 as far as being the highest paid player. So this contract is really favorable. Yeah, so a lot of the hate is just really coming from the idea that people have in the back of their minds that Randall's under a max contract. And even though if people see the numbers and understand that we have him at a favorable deal, they'll still hate Randall. The same way the media was still throwing out articles about Julius Randall in the last two weeks of the season, even though he didn't play or touch the court at all. I found that very ironic. There was a lot of Julius hate, even though he didn't touch the court in the last two weeks of the season. That's how strong that shit is. And those same haters will be the same people that'll tell you the Knicks should start Frank Nilekina at point guard. You talking about you upset. <laughs> and some of those haters are going to have to let the 2020 bubble season, they got to let that go, man. That was a once-in-a-lifetime season. Julius did put up great numbers, but his numbers this season weren't that far away from that previous season. Even though the league did change the defensive rules, the only thing that went down for Julius was pretty much his efficiency, and that's because, once again, we had no point guard. But once again, for those of you watching the video version, as you can see, points-wise, Randall's only down four points per game. His efficiency as far as shooting threes and his overall field goal percentage is down, but his assists and rebounds are almost similar. So once again, once we get that point guard role filled up, Randall should go back to being his old self. Maybe his efficiency might go up, but I don't really expect him to average 27 points per game, especially when the Knicks have new additions on the offensive end, guys like Evan Fonier and RJ Barrett coming into his own. Randall's numbers should hover similar to what they were this season, but his efficiency should be a lot better. You know, with Julius sitting out the last two weeks of the season with an injury, it still didn't stop article after article dropping on Julius about how the Knicks should get rid of him or he's asking for a trade. But Julius actually spoke directly with the media and he answered some really tough questions. And it's always good to hear directly from Julius, but they're playing a lot of nasty media games. And I started to understand how bad the situation really is with the last few weeks of the season. Like I said, Julius was out the picture, but that did not stop the hate. So Julius was asked about him wanting a trade out of New York. And this is what he had to say. There was a, there was a, I'm sure you heard about it. There was a local radio guy who said that after Monday's game, you went to management and demanded a trade. I was wondering what your response to that was. Who, who said it? Yeah, I miss. That's not crazy. That's not crazy. A major radio station could say this about Julius Randle, that he went to management and asked for a trade. And nobody ever says anything. Like, yo, you fucked up. How can you just say that out the blue? Not true, bro. It's just not true. Um, it's as simple as that, bro. It's just not true at all. I know you said a few months ago that you want to be here long term. Um, if it ain't come for me, it ain't true. I mean, how, how committed are you still to if it, I just, my answer ain't changing bro and this is the trick bag they try to put you in once again the business model of the media especially in new york is to find that weak point that triggers the knicks fan base and exploit that and this season they figured out is julius randall we're basically going to troll the knicks fan base about julius randall because we understand that gets them emotional 
and they're going to click on the articles and we're going to run ads and that's how we're going to get them we're going to get the eyeballs and clicks that exact way it's basically easy money for them easy money now randall was asked if his relationship with the fan base is strained and pay attention to the way they asked the question it's almost like if he fully answered it it was like a double trap either way pretty much the games that they play it did, it did look last year, Julius, like you had a great relationship with the city and the fan base. This year, it does, from the outside looking in, it does look a little strange. Would you at least agree with that assessment? And, and if so, why is it different? Uh, probably something you should ask yourself, man. I'm, I'm not really sure. You don't, you don't agree with that? I mean, I'm cool, bro. Like like I said, my, my, um, my goal and, you know, what I work hard for is, uh, to make the city proud, to make the fans proud. Um, you know, I play for my teammates, play for my family. Uh, and it's as simple as that, bro. Like, it's nothing, it's nothing, nothing more than that. So, uh, from the inside looking out, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it is what it is at the, at, at, you know, and I understand that a lot of times you got to just kind of let your game do the talking and, and go from there. But like I said, man, I love the city. I love uh, my family. Loves it here, and uh, you know I'm a Nick. That's what I. That's what I love. I love being a Nick. So. Yeah, I think Julius. He's finally understanding what this media game is all about. That's why he made that comment from the inside looking out. Julius is starting to pick up on the game on how this all works in New York. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, if he hollered at Carmelo Anthony, man, to get some game because. Melo definitely had great composure while being in New York. Now, Julius Randle was asked a question about his son being at the games, and sometimes he would have to leave or not attend the games due to all the heckling. And this, to me, is the most important part because we have to keep in mind that these guys are human. As we've seen this year play out with Will Smith, you know, these guys have emotions. They're human. Just because they get millions of dollars through the media or they're famous, it doesn't absolve them from some sort of humanity. I feel like sometimes people lose touch base with these things. It's very unfortunate. But Julius Randle, I believe this is the biggest part of some of his struggles this season. Some of the treatment his family members have been getting. I've seen it online to the point where they're even coming after his wife, even though she just had a baby. And they're making comments about his kid, which is crazy. But just going back to some of his family members, uh, particularly his wife. You know, just being a man and a lot of us have to deal with our ladies, man, especially if our ladies look decent, them being on social media, it kind of affects their moods at times, you know, and I'm pretty sure all the heckling that she's been receiving online has been an issue that's been brought up to him countless of times. I mean, sometimes us fellas, we don't really pay attention to things on social media as much as our ladies do. And sometimes things tend to spill over in real life due to the fact that a lot of our ladies love the social media thing and of course we're gonna have to hear about it all the time and i'm pretty sure he's been hearing about it all season long it could just be her posting a simple picture of their newborn baby and then people making reckless comments so once again even though i'm pretty sure julius don't give a fuck about social media but him being like the rest of us fellas sometimes we get pulled in because our ladies are so attached to it once again these guys are only human Julius, athletes, by the time they get to where you are, are probably used to hearing cheers, booze. But is it hard sometimes? I know your family is always there, front court, center, you know, mm -hmm. right there. Is it hard 
Uh, I mean, that's probably where most of my frustration comes from. You know, I got my um, my five-year-old son that, that's there and uh, is obsessed with the game of basketball and loves the game of basketball, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And, uh, you know, that was probably my biggest frustration, you know, coming from him. Um, you know, the time that I sacrificed from him uh, to to put into this game. And, uh, you know, he's... He's daddy's little boy. He, he loves he loves his dad. So yeah, that's interesting right there. He said the time that he sacrificed away from his kids in order to put in work to please the fan base and the fan base is going ahead and talking shit about his kid. That's got to hurt. Once again, these guys are human and we got to take some of these things into consideration. And once again, a lot of the fan base, they're falling for the trolling of the media because once again, the business model is to troll the Knicks fan base and not covering them necessarily it's trolling them into an emotional state so they could click on the articles and so the media companies could basically run ads uh for him to experience that and um you know him being uncomfortable and you know having to leave the games and stuff like that uh as a father that's what bothered me more than anything but like at the same time like you, you got to understand it comes with the territory uh and that's the unfortunate thing. It should not be like that. That comes with the territory being in New York. That's what he really meant. And if that's the perception that a lot of players have of New York, it's going to be hard to get free agents to come here. That's a realization that the fan base has to come to. At the end of the day, the narrative can always, you know, flip. So I understand that. I understand it's New York City. I understand that's just what comes with it. And I understand how passionate our fans are. So uh, you just kind of got to live with the good and the bad. Yeah, when things are great, they're really great. But like Melo said earlier in the segment that I played, a lot of it has to do with the media. The media is playing a lot of games. And not only do the Knicks have to go up against their opponents every single night, they have to go up against the media every single night. And it's very unfortunate. But once again, Julius Randle is under a favorable contract by the Knicks. But this season, it's been revealed that Julius Randle's name is a trigger point to run ads and get clicks and write bullshit articles. And it's a very unfortunate thing. And to my fellow Knicks fans, is it me? Or did Julius Randle this season take more heat than LeBron James? I mean, LeBron James was able to choose Russell Westbrook and have another player, Anthony Davis, which equates to two players that made the NBA All-75. But yet, they couldn't draw a better record than the Pelicans and Spurs. But it seems like Julius Randle took more heat than they did. I mean, damn. Surgical summer with it. Snip, snip, snip. Just keep in mind, while Julius Randle was taking heat on a Knicks team with no championship expectations, the media was still painting the picture that the Lakers would be fine going into February to make the playoffs. But it's very odd, man. I feel like Randle took a lot more heat than LeBron James did this season. Very interesting times that we're in. Keep in mind, LeBron James has missed the playoffs two out of the four years being in LA. So to all my fellow Knicks fans, don't let the media trick you out of your positioning of having a favorable contract with Julius Randle. Of course, they're gonna dick ride the Lakers all the way, but the reason why Randle doesn't qualify for a Supermax contract is because of the dysfunction of the Lakers. Keep in mind, the Lakers are the most successful dysfunctional franchise in sports. And right now with Julius Randle's contract, the longer the Knicks stay in it, the more beneficial it is for them. So the Laker dysfunction is still paying dividends for the Knicks even to this day. So having a guy that can get 20 and 10 and him not even breaking the bank for the highest top 40 players paid. It says a lot, man. Once again, don't let them fool you and trick you out of your positioning. 
So to my fellow Nick fans, your energy is one of one. It can't be duplicated or faked. And it's definitely not on some bandwagon shit like the Lakers. Surgical Summer Volume 1. And last but not least, this will be a brand new series I'm going to be starting up called What Exactly Is Cam Reddish? And this will be Volume 1. As this offseason will be very interesting for Leon Rose because just like RJ Barrett, the Knicks have the ability just right before the start of the season to pick up the team option on Cam Reddish. And if they do that next summer, he will be entering free agency as an unrestricted free agent. So they do have the option of giving him an extension either right before the season start or picking up his team option, thus making him an unrestricted free agent next year. And the reason why I'm asking what exactly is Cam Reddish is that he's about to enter his fifth year into the NBA. And for the most part, he's either been injury prone or he still has this air of mystique on his upcoming potential. But as Nick fans, we have to ask ourselves, what is his staying power so far? How is it looking like? And when I say staying power, it's almost like Michael Jordan, when he got to the top of the mountain and was a champion, he kept repeating every single year, coming back stronger and better than ever. And the same thing for Cam Reddish. He's gotten to the NBA and his AAU slash NCAA hype has not really translated over as strong. And boy, that hype train is a powerful machine, especially in today's media climate. But to counteract that, once again, we got to look at the staying power. The same way all of us Knicks fans were hyped when we got Phil Jackson as a president. But then when we looked at his staying power over the course of a few years of him making decisions, things started looking a little funny in the light. He had a falling out with KP, falling out with Carmelo. He got rid of Shumpert and J.R. Smith and got virtually nothing back. His staying power kind of looked a little iffy. And Leon Rose is steadily approaching that point where we're going to have to start judging him off the same staying power. He was fortunate enough to choose his own head coach. He chose his own draft pick. And he was fortunate enough to have plenty of cap space to make additions to the roster or decide to keep certain guys. So his day of judgment and assessment by the fan base is vastly approaching. But before the first tip off of next season, we're going to exactly know how Leon Rose and the Knicks front office feel about Cam Reddish. Because once again, that will be the deadline in order to offer him a contract extension or take the risk of him being an unrestricted free agent next summer. And we also got to keep in mind, if he does not get extended, this will be in addition to the long history of Reddish kind of being overlooked for other guys. Just keep in mind, in Atlanta, while they was rebuilding their team, there was a couple of guys that leapfrogged them as far as getting paid and earning their keep on the roster. Now, I'm talking about guys like DeAndre Hunter, who was drafted in the same class as Cam Reddish, and they both played the same exact position. John Collins, Kevin Herdier, both of these guys were able to get paid, and they were both 19th overall picks. Once again, Kevin Herdier was able to earn a contract extension, and John Collins, and they were both 19th picks in their respected draft classes. So overall, while Cam Reddish was there and part of their team building process, the Hawks went out of their way to make that trade for another small forward in Brogdon. And also, they gave Gallinari that huge contract. But in this segment right here, in order for us to take a step back and evaluate Cam Reddish, who better than to speak to than to a Hawks fan? And shout out to JB because I spoke to him. And this was organic because it was not even planned out. But I thought it was very interesting, some of the stuff he had to tell me about the four years of him just watching Cam and just his evaluation of Cam. And yeah, yeah, I know, I know my fellow Knicks fans. I know you guys don't want to hear from a Hawks fan. 
But at the end of the day, JB, he has a lot of respect for the Knicks fan base and the culture that's kind of surrounded the franchise and just the passion of the overall fan base. And he has a very balanced approach to the way he kind of understands the hype of the Duke NCAA machine and just sort of the overall understanding of how East Coast fans, particularly those in New York, kind of have a lot of love and admiration for players coming out of schools, especially like Duke. I mean, the way Duke gets a lot of love from the East Coast, you would swear to God that school's either in upstate New York or is in Connecticut. They kind of get that Syracuse love. But in our convo, JB gave a great perspective from understanding this hype machine behind Cam Reddish, wanting to see him do good, but he also had the experience of understanding and watching him throughout the four years, even through the injuries. And he was able to give certain perspectives of some of the dynamics that was going on with the Hawks while Reddish was there. And he gave great insight to why eventually Cam Reddish was passed up by at least five different players who solidified themselves in the Hawks roster. That shit caught everyone by surprise. And I think, I think him getting paid by the Hawks is the reason why I think Cam Reddish, you know, wanted out. Because there was no more money left. Where did they get the money from? Yeah, I mean, Cam always stayed hurt. So it was whatever. And to, and to be honest, I think DeAndre Hunter is the same thing as, as Cam, just better, in my opinion. So I, I didn't really, I wasn't really hurt by the trade, but I feel like they should have tried for Obi Toppin or something at least. I feel like Atlanta kind of lost the trade with what we got back, but I didn't really care about getting rid of Cam Reddish. But Atlanta didn't. I don't know. I don't know about Atlanta paying Kevin Herter though. I'm not. I'm not big on Kevin Herter being a starter or anything like that. I just feel like if you're if you're playing against the Hawks and Kevin Herter's guarding you, you automatically just go into attack mode, right? Mm -hmm. Like. But let me ask you a question because I'm a Knicks fan, so I pretty much know Knox. He probably would thrive with uh, what's his name, um, Trey Young, because Trey? You, yeah, you guys play much faster. But but other than that, um, my question is about Cam Reddish because a lot of the the Knicks fans, some of them, they're stuck on his promotion in college and AAU. But me, I'm not too high on this guy. Like I see he has potential, but. It's just like he's been in the league for four years. I don't understand. What, yeah, what's, exactly what's up with what that? what I'm saying, bro. I just, I, like you said, people buy into this hype because he's from Duke and, and, and whatever. And didn't he win a national championship with Duke or no? Uh, no, I, no yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. He was with Zion and um, R.J. Barrett. Oh, no, they didn't win. They got upset in like Sweet 16, I think. But, no, Cam Reddish just isn't even... I don't know. He hasn't done anything outstanding. He can play some defense, but mm -hmm. and hit a three every now and then. But he just isn't very consistent, and he stays hurt. I don't even think he played a game in New York, did he? No, nah, he did. He did. Um, it was weird in the beginning. He was hurt, and then Tibbs didn't really play him like that, even though he was good to play. It was, it was weird, and then Tibbs is. I feel like Tibbs is one of those coaches that like. He plays people really based on who he, like, fucks with in yeah. real life shit. Because why the fuck does Taj Gibson still fucking play for you guys? Nah, he, he's, he's pretty solid on the defensive end, and he gets rebounds. Our team, at times, they do struggle to get rebounds. But my only thing with Cam Reddish is that... But, bro, get you a young player that does that. Play Obi. Nah, I feel you on Taj that, but Obi, Obi sometimes, I think, on the... The thing with Obi is that the shot blocking and the rim protection... I think that's why he had Taj down there at times. He trusts Taj 
on the rebounding and the, the shot blocking, especially the rim protection. But Obi, Obi with time will get better at that. But my only thing is that, because since you're a Hawks fan, I'm trying to get the understanding of Cam Reddish because I understand you guys traded um, the Luka. You guys originally had Luka. You traded that for um, Trey Young and then the Cam Reddish pick, correct? Yeah, so, I mean... It, so, did we lose a trade or did we win a trade? That's the hardest question. Like we always talk about that shit. Like we'll just randomly ask, like, would you guys rather have Luca right now mm-hmm. or Clay or stay or Trey? I don't know, man. I think if Luca was in Atlanta, he would have a better team around him mm-hmm. than he does in Dallas. But I don't think um, I don't think Trey would be as good anywhere else as Atlanta, just because Atlanta pretty much was just like perfect timing and like built for his style of play and shit. Now, Atlanta has Atlanta has the Golden State GM that that drafted um, or that helped draft Clay, Steph and like pretty much all the shooters and shit from Golden State. So as soon as we got him we started building kind of similar to Golden State, like getting Kevin Herter and Trey Young and then getting like three and D wing players, just like they had Harrison Barnes and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my only thing as a Knicks fan, like I said, a lot of the fan base they're very big on Cam Reddish, but I just don't think they fully understand what exactly has been going on since he got into the league. Because once again, I believe he was the fourth. Was he the fourth pick? Well, that that draft pick you traded for the Luca. What what pick was that? That ended up being the fourth pick. No, I don't think we had two picks in the top five because we traded. We got Trey at the um, number three pick, so and we had the number two pick to get Luca, I believe. Okay, oh, what and draft then, was it? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, and then the Cam Reddish pick was what number? Uh, let me look this up because my understanding is that you guys assume like the fan base noticed the team plays better with with DeAndre Hunter on the court versus Cam, and then Cam got hurt. Am I am I am I right in that assessment? Yeah, that that's that's pretty much what happened. Like I said, man, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish are the same style of player. It's just that DeAndre Hunter was way more efficient and just fit in better with the team. Well, what what about the motor? Does does um DeAndre Hunter have a better motor in your opinion as a Hawks? Yeah, player? yeah, yeah. We put if we're playing the Nets, DeAndre Hunter guards KD. That's who that's who we use as our like defender to guard the big guy on the other team or whoever the superstar guard is or so wait deandre deandre hunter is is is, is the bigger because cam let me see cam is six eight but cam don't be banging down low am i right in that assessment no, yeah that's what i mean so like deandre hunter is kind of like stocky yeah he's good to guard like katie and giannis and and people like that and then we got clint capella to guard like the indies and and Brute Lopez and and all the centers and shit like that. But like Trey Young is so trash at defense. Um but he makes up for it. I mean he scored the most points and had the most assists in the NBA this year. Like added up. I don't know how you do that and not average the most, but mm-hmm. he did it somehow. So I mean he deserves some credit for that. And the Hawks were trash at All Star break. Like we, we definitely did not think. I thought they were tanking to to make up for um, the Cam Reddish shit. But I don't know. They turned it up at the end, just like they did last year. So, 
So wait, hold on. So I'm just trying to get an assessment of Cam. So in the four years, you guys watched him because you guys like once again you traded for the Luca pick, yeah. which is uh you traded you traded for Trey Young and the tenth overall pick, which was Cam. So in your assessment in those four years, what is what what is Cam? What is what what is his identity? He's kind of like a three and D wing player, like a Trevor Ariza type mm-hmm. player. I mean, he's averaged. 10 points. Let's see. Hold on. This That's this season with the Knicks. Yeah, he averaged like 13 points for you guys, but he didn't never play long enough and in the bubble season. But let me ask a question. Would you guys start him over... Would you guys give him more minutes over DeAndre Hunter? No. Fuck no. So you, I wouldn't. It's, it's funny. So that's the way you really feel because you said fuck no. So that means DeAndre Hunter has shown you guys especially when you're watching the game on TV, that he's much better having on the court than Cam, who has the college and AAU hype. Bro, it's all, like, I think it literally is because Cam Reddish went to Duke and DeAndre Hunter went to Virginia. And that's just the only difference. I mean, when you go to a college, like, as prestigious as Duke or whatever, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. Kansas, they kind of, I don't know, I feel like they kind of give you a bump and shit, but Cam Reddish is good if healthy, and he does have potential. I'm not saying that he's a bad player, but... Yeah, I don't think I don't think that either. I'm just... His assessment is just... I, I, I don't know how to assess this guy. I think it was... A, I mean, I what did you guys give up for the... Tra- what did you guys give up for? We, we just gave up a draft pick that we got from the Jazz, I believe. A first-round pick, but you guys can have that because we're just like... We're, we're both in the same scenario. We have too many young guys on the bench. You still have too many young guys on the bench. You can't pay everybody. And we're kind of almost going to fall into the same boat. We have way too many young guys on the bench. We can't pay everybody. So, and then we have we have draft picks on top of that. We got our draft pick. We got Dallas draft pick. We got too many. So, giving you guys a, the, the Jazz draft pick, it, it didn't even really even matter. We got way too many guys. And I, and I think the Knicks have to make a decision on whether to pick up an option on Cam Reddish before the start of next season. But let me ask you a question. Wait, hold on. Let me ask you a quick question. So let's say if the Knicks somehow was offering you guys Cam for DeAndre Hunter, you would say fuck no. Yeah, I would say no. What what, what about Hurtier? I would still say no. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, man, a, a, a lot of the Knicks fan base, I, I don't know if they, they just haven't paid attention to Cam while, while he's been in the league, but I just don't see... I just don't see, you know, what's all the hype about about this guy. Every, be, every, I mean, everything is potential. I know, Knicks, I know you're a Knicks fan, but to be honest with you, New York is a place where most people just their careers go to die. Like most people don't see it past the Knicks. You know what I mean? Nah, nah, they, they do, but it's like you know, that's not necessarily a case. But the team sometimes, you know, the position that they've been in in the past with a lot of mismanagement. They tend to only get guys when they're, you know, at the end of their career. That's due to management. They don't have proper management. But at the end of the day, with guys like Cam, I feel like, you know, it's just it's just a lot of hype behind this guy. And we, I even got sometimes on my on my um, live spaces, I got guys saying that Cam is better than RJ. And I just be confused about that. I'm just like, yo, what kind of hype did this guy have in AAU? That people are saying, you know, how could people even think this shit? I mean, this guy's been in the league for four fucking years. And everything is like, yo, he has the potential of being good. 
But it's like, yo, it's been four years, man. Next year is about to be his fifth year in the league. Like, how long are they going to keep saying that shit? Atlanta never made the playoffs when he was playing either. We were trash during those four years. Like, he was getting minutes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, him and DeAndre Hunter, they're the same height. DeAndre Hunter is 10 pounds heavier. But, you know, a knock on Cam in his scouting report is that he don't rebound. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter rebound. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I, yeah, I be watching DeAndre Hunter. He 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 pl- he bangs with the power forwards. Cam can't even as a even on the Knicks. I'm watching him. He can't he can't play with no like big stocky power forward. Like let's say if he had a mark of Julius Randle, Randle would body him in the paint. Yeah. Well, I will I will say this to, to wrap up the the Cam Reddish talk. Mm-hmm. I think I can't. I can't predict what kind of player Cam Reddish will, will end up being, but I will say that I think he won the trade just because, like you said, you have a, so many picks, so this pick doesn't really matter. And because Utah has a good record anyway, so it wasn't going to be like a high pick anyway. So, But I think it was like worth the try is pretty much what I'm trying to say. I think it's – you know, New York, it was worth a try. If he does fit in, mm-hmm. he'd be a good, like, 3 and D guy for you guys. Because who's, who's starting at small forward right now? Nah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. We don't really have a, a starting small forward like that. But off the bench, he, he 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 would be all right. I mean, sometimes we make RJ start at small forward because we got Evan Fournier at the two. But, you know, until we get our, our point guard situated out, our you know, that point guard situation figured out, it's it's really murky, but other than that, I would say, what's your opinion opinion of Kevin Knox ever since he went to you guys? Do you guys actually use him or what? Uh, I think we started using him towards the end. We didn't use him when we initially got him, but we started to slowly mix him in. And Trey Young likes to throw him lobs. He likes the uh, pace that we play at. Kind of like you said, how Obi Toppin would fit in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how we slid him in because. Atlanta just likes to play fast and shoot threes because when he comes in off the bench, he he just initially does what John Collins does. So, you know what I mean? He's athletic enough to – I mean, I don't know if he can jump like John Collins can, but he's athletic enough to to play the similar role that John Collins does. So, when Collins comes off the bench, we're straight. That's that's what I like about Atlanta is how deep we are. Like, because – the Knicks are the same exact way. The Cam Reddish and, and, and Knox trade was really a wash. And a lot of people, because, you know, Cam Reddish has a big name, they don't really see it that way. But that trade was really a wash. Both teams are in similar situations where they got too many young guys on the bench. They got really deep rosters. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. But Knox, overall, he can... I saw an interview with him once he joined Atlanta. He talked about how he was used to playing fast-paced. But the Knicks are a really slow-paced team. I think yeah, I think, I think I we're number thirty. Yeah, we're we're at the bottom, very bottom of the league in pace. I don't think Tom Thibodeau is a is a good coach in the modern era. I think he was good. He was a good coach ten years ago. Now I'm a, I'm gonna give Tibbs some bail because we didn't have a point guard. Remember, Derrick Rose only played six weeks in the season, and then Kimball Walker, his knees were shot, so we played the whole he season. He played like shit. Nah, but we, 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 he, he played the whole season. Um, We basically played the whole season without a point guard. 
So, I, you know, I can't really judge this year with the Knicks in pace. Uh, it's, it's, well, it's, nobody, it's, nobody's giving RJ Barrett credit. He played really good this year. Yeah, yeah, he stepped up. He stepped up for yeah, sure. He had a big year this year, and Julius Randle has got to go. Not nah, like okay, as as a, as a fan outside looking outside with the Knicks, you know, what 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 do you see? Because this guy averaged twenty points, ten rebounds, five assists with no point guard. I mean, the Knicks kept giving him the ball at the top of the key. That's like giving John Collins the ball at the top of the key. You guys, you you guys, when you have John Collins, you're giving him the ball in the paint. We don't have a, a someone that's feeding Randall as he as he's going in stride in the paint. We got Randall yeah. handling the rock at the top of the th- key like he's Stephen Curry. That shit makes no sense. I feel that, but last year when he played my Hawks in the playoffs, I remember him hitting that mid-range like post fade all the fucking time. And this year, every time I watch you guys, because I put money on on Randall a few times this year, and mm-hmm. I realized after three games to never put money on his scoring this year because he has just been playing like. I don't know. He just he still plays aggressive, and he—I mean—he's always going to play defense. But on the offensive end, he just didn't fill the shoes that I feel like New York thought he was going to. Because last year in the playoffs, he played really good, even though you lost to the Hawks. But yeah, that's a good point. But you know, this year was a little bit struggle. Um, there was a lot of—I uh, don't know if the antics with some of the fan base, the Nick fan base—they've been trolling. Randall online, especially with him and his uh, family yeah. members. I don't know if that's been getting to him. That is a lot to deal with, but you know, other than that, it's, it's been a rough season. I, I think you know personally, he shouldn't have reacted emotionally with the with some of the fans, but it is what it is. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't know. Just the assessment of Randall is like you know, people think he has a super max contract, and he really doesn't. The Knicks got a twenty and ten guy for pretty cheap. He's like almost the 50th highest paid player in the league. Yeah, see, when you say that, that makes it sound not as bad either. I, see, you guys are like pretty much just, just an experiment right now. But like, so you're not in a win, like exactly win now scenario. You guys should have made the playoffs, I will say that. Or you should have at least made the play in. Yeah, but the thing is, we had, we had injuries for most of the year, though. Yeah, but... You had um, you had Fournier and Mitchell all year, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, uh, what Fournier, Mitchell Robinson? Fournier is underrated, bro. Yeah, yeah, he's had a pretty decent season, but once again, when you don't have a point guard controlling the game and, and getting guys the ball in stride, it it makes it real hard. Sometimes the, the, the Knicks have Evan doing too much. You know what I'm saying? That's not his, really his role. Um, Y'all, yeah, Derek Rose being out sucked. And, um, the Kimber Walker gamble didn't work out for us at, at all. It was a gamble. It, it didn't work out, and it was obvious within the first like month and a half this shit wasn't gonna work. Why do you guys do that? Like you said, like no, no, but like it was it, it was it was a gamble, but it didn't really cost that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't really cost that much. It was like $6 million a year. It didn't really cost that much to take that gamble on Walker. I mean, his contract is really favorable coming into next year. There's going to be a lot of teams that are probably going to want to trade for him to get him off the, the books. Yeah. He's on an expiring contract. So, 
it's it's not that bad, but you know, it it really affected the the current season that they were in because they didn't expect Derrick Rose to go down. Him being an expiring contract, honestly, probably affected them wanting Kimba too because most players really ball out whenever it's time for like like a contract year and stuff like that. Yo, to be honest with you, Kimba couldn't ball out even if he was on the expiring man. His knees are shot. Really? Yeah, those things are shot, man. You know, you know, it's funny looking back. Michael Jordan, you know, it's got to be a reason why he didn't he didn't even offer to pay him. You know, before he went to the Celtics, I think they knew. They knew his shit wasn't going to last that long. Kimba? Yeah, I think the cartilage in his knees is, is done. That sucks. Yeah, like whatever OKC saw, they didn't, they didn't even print him out a jersey, OKC, when they, when they traded for him. There was no jersey printout. There was just talks about a buyout. There was a medical exam and talks about a buyout. That's it. No jersey printing. Damn. Yeah. So this man and we're like, nah. Yeah. He did, he did an interview with Zach Lowe. He said he didn't even get a jersey. That's crazy. Yeah, man. That's what I'm saying. It was a complete gamble. Hey, it is what it is, man. They whiff. But you being a Hawks fan, I'm just trying to get a better understanding of four years of seeing Cam Reddish. What exactly is Cam Reddish? You know what I'm saying? Besides potential. Yeah, he's not. I don't know. He's just, like I said, bro, he just plays defense. He just plays defense, and he, he constantly came off the bench. He never started for Atlanta. His first year, he didn't get much playing time. I don't even think he played the first half of the year. I think he was hurt. And then second half of the, his rookie year, just minimal. You know, he'd have, he'd pop off for like a 12, 15 point game every now and then. But, and then like his third and fourth year, he would just like sit out. He would just miss a lot of games. And then um, when he would play, it would just be inconsistent, you know? Like. Yeah, that's horrible. I think he would just like, he would get clear to play, but like uh, he should still bother him or, or something like. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but it's crazy that you've seen him for, for that long and you, you still don't really know how to identify him. That's that's the scary part to me. That's always been a scary part. Like, not even a Hawks fan have a clear assessment of this, of this It's because he's really not that, that good. I mean, he's just not that good. Yo, but that's, that's the powerful thing about that NCAA marketing, man. That's the biggest promotion a basketball player could ever get. The NCAA promotion. It's just, yo, what, what, whether you you're, you could be super nice in college and all the promo, and you could be a bum in the league, but everyone's going to be like, yo, but he's good. They're still going to be stuck on what you did because the first time they saw you was through that NCAA promotion, promoting you as this, like, star player. Yeah. Because if it was somebody else that didn't have the promo he had, everybody else would be calling him a bum. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that's how it works pretty much, bro. Yeah, that shit, that shit is crazy, man. But, it, you know, like, once again, man, it surprises me how sometimes some guys be like, RJ, you know, Cam is better than RJ. I'm just like, where the fuck do you get that from? Yeah, they're drunk. Yeah, it's just like... They're drunk. They're really stuck on what they did while they was in college, man. But I, I did... There's, there's footage online of Anthony Edwards bigging up uh, Cam Reddish. He said Cam Reddish was the hardest dude he had to face 
when he was in AU or in college. He said he said Cam Reddish dropped like forty on on him and his squad. He dropped like forty five on them. He said Cam was cold. Was one of the coldest plays he ever had to play against. But you know, sometimes some of these things don't really translate once you get into the league. I don't know what it is. I don't know if guys just hit puberty faster than everybody else at the time, but. You know, if, if they had, that, I mean, it can't be that, or it can be just like you might not fit in where you get drafted at. You know, like I, I mean, I played college ball up until D D two. I won a D two national championship, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I got a new coach my senior year. And I just did not like it anymore, and that affected my playing and stuff like that. So I can imagine if you get drafted somewhere that you don't really like or, or if you end up keep going places that you don't really, you know, want to go, um, it's going to affect your play and stuff. I mean, look at, look at Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins, everyone was calling him a bust. Everyone was calling him a bust. Facts. He goes to go. He goes to Golden State, which is the best place you can literally go. If you don't make it in Golden State, you're not going to make it in the league. It's kind of like San Antonio. Like you have to play good there because everyone else does. It's such an easy system to play in. So um, I think it's just a mixture. It might just be he hasn't found the right team for him. Hey, this is. Say that again. You broke up. I was saying, I was saying um, that and injuries. Yeah, yeah, the injuries. See, that's another, another reason why it's hard to judge him, because when Cam got injured for the Hawks, by the time he came back, uh, Herdier went off. Um, what's his name went off? DeAndre Hunter. He proved himself. Got paid. A bunch of guys got paid. John Collins was was set up to get paid, and then Cam was left out in the cold. So I'm just and, saying. And, well, and DeAndre Hunter sat out for a really long time too before he he started playing. That's assistant. interesting, really. Huh? Wait, that's interesting. So DeAndre Hunter sat out for a while, just like Cam, but DeAndre Hunter was able to still prove himself. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter still he he did not play right off the gate. He, I think I'm pretty sure he either rode the bench or he was hurt his his rookie year. He did not like he he did not have substantial minutes or like have any big parts of any games. Wait 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 wait. Okay, so I'm I'm looking I'm looking at DeAndre Hunter was the fourth overall pick in that um in that 2019 draft. So was Cam. Cam was a tenth overall pick. What year was the um tr- was the Trey Young um what year did he come into the league? I am pretty sure Trey Young is from twenty it's not twenty nine. Oh yeah, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen, yeah. Okay, so you guys got you guys traded Luca. And I think you guys got DeAndre Hunter and Cam, no? Uh yes. No, no, no. We got DeAndre Hunter um uh, with your own pick. I- yeah, I think we got DeAndre Hunter in a different year. No, DeAndre Hunter, I'm looking at it right now. It's um, it's 2019. Him and Cam is the same year. Then for Trey Young, we just traded. I'm pretty sure we just traded Trey Young for uh, Luca because 
uh, Dallas had to get to us to reach up to Luca because Dallas had like the fifth pick, and Dallas couldn't get Luca at the fifth pick, and they really wanted Luca. So they came to Atlanta and was like, yo, give us your fucking, I think it was our third or second pick, and we'll give you the fifth pick since you guys love Trey Young so much. Okay, Atlanta- wait, hold on. I got I got it right here. You guys traded uh, Luca for Trey Young, and you traded um the, the Dallas gave you back um, Trey Young. They gave you uh, Sam Hardaway. No, yeah, yeah. They probably gave you some pieces, but they also gave you the tenth pick and Cam Reddish. But you guys got DeAndre Hunter from the Lakers. I forgot how the fuck how the fuck the Lakers got the fourth overall pick in 2019 after having LeBron. But it says the Lakers, um, the, the Hawks got. The Lakers picked uh, in a trade from New Orleans. That's the crazy. Lakers. The Lakers did what? The Lakers. Okay, so you remember the um the Anthony Davis trade, right? So yes. so you guys basically traded a pick. You guys traded with with the Pelicans to get one of the picks that they got for Anthony Davis, and that that became the fourth overall pick. And you guys use it to get DeAndre Hunter. Ha, that's dope. Yeah, so... Yeah, so basically in the 2019 draft, which is the year after the Luka draft, you guys got DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. That's very interesting. They both got drafted at the same fucking time. And DeAndre Hunter has proven himself out of... You know, even though he's the fourth overall, he's definitely proven himself. And you said that he was hurt. Just like Cam was hurt, but he still proved himself. Yeah, we really needed. Uh, um, we really needed somebody, uh, a small forward at the time. So that's why I, I feel like that's why they drafted two small forwards at the same time, two similar guys. We really needed. We really needed them both at the time, but because uh, John, we didn't. I don't think we expected John Collins to do what he has been doing. So John Collins kind of took on that role. Because mm. yep. John Collins was drafted later on in the draft. I don't, I don't think John Collins was anywhere near a lottery pick. He wasn't? Damn. I don't, I don't think so. You might have to look it up, though. Let's see, John Collins. He seems like he's a lottery pick. I don't oh. think he was, bro. Oh, yeah, you're right. 2017 draft pick, uh, first round, 19 pick. Yeah, you're right. You guys got him with like a deep pick in the first round. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and that's really what elevated Atlanta is John Collins. And that in this season, after last season, when we made that playoff run against you guys mm-hmm. and um, played really well against Philly as well, we um, John Collins came into this next se- this season right here wanting to get paid. It was his year to get paid, and. Atlanta had to decide whether or not to pay him or not, and we did. And I'm pretty sure you guys were, like, thinking about picking him up if he did. Yeah, you're right. There was rumors about the Knicks trying to get John Collins, right? They were thinking about it. Yeah. Because at the time, that's I think that's a little bit before we, before we got Randall. We was thinking, uh, this, we, was, this was this past offseason. Oh no, no 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 no! Those rumors I heard about those rumors before Randall had the, the 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 breakout year. This was either before Randall came to the team that summer, 
or that was before um before Randall had the um breakout year. One of the two. I was I heard him talking about John Collins, but nah, the Knicks weren't gonna get him after you guys gave him a, a max. Well, you guys didn't give him a max deal, but you gave him a, a big rookie extension. We gave him like a hundred and ninety million. Oh, you gave him the max rookie extension? Shit. Yes. He asked for it. He asked for it. That's crazy. Like, yeah, and you guys were gonna you guys were thinking about giving it to him because you did want to trade him for Randall. And then you guys realized, oh shit, we might have a chance to get him and have Randall too. So I think that's what you guys were doing. Nah, nah, nah. I don't I don't think it was that. Nah, because it would have been too much money in our books. I'm telling you, the Knicks the the, the Knicks were thinking about John Collins either in 2017 before getting Randall or after Randall had his first season and there was a struggle because we had a two-year deal with Randall and uh, the third year was a team option. I think uh, the Knicks Knicks picked up on Randall's third year and then Randall had that breakout bubble season. And then the John Collins thing was no longer a thing. After Randall had that breakout year, John Collins, that rumor was deaded. Because the Knicks already had Mitchell Robinson at center. And John Collins is a center. I think your mic is muted. But, you know. My bad, bro. I was uh, I was messing with some Tim Cole. I didn't want to mess up. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I was trying to listen to you. Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of a good thing we didn't, we didn't make that trade or anything like that. Because who would have ever knew, man? Randall had that breakout year. Yeah, Randall played really good last year in the playoffs. Um, I do have to ask you, though, do you hate Trey Young as bad as Nick's Twitter hates Trey Young? Uh, yeah, we all do because we felt like, you know, he disrespected the city, man, by, you know, doing those antics. But it is what it is, man. We we love we love that type of rival shit, man. New, New York is a basketball city, man. We take that shit real personal. I mean, he could have yeah, did, did that in Atlanta, but him doing that in the Garden? Yo, they're lucky. The Knicks, the Knicks, unlike other NBA arenas, they got extra, they got NYPD cops undercover security. So they really need that shit. Our, our city is a little different. The fan, the fans, like, because you know the NBA, they, they like the fans being close to the players. In New York City, that's not a good thing if you hate it. Someone will, will go out and punch you in the face. It will happen. Yeah, I went, to, I've actually, uh, I've actually been to a game in the garden. It was in 20. 20- it was when you guys, right before you guys traded Porzingis uh, to Dallas, I went to a Knicks game, and you guys were playing Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And you didn't have RJ Barrett yet, I don't think. But you did have Julius Randle. Um, I can't remember when it was. It was... Probably 2017, maybe? No, 2018. It was a 2018. Cause no was was yeah RJ Barrett's 2019 we got RJ Barrett so it had to be in 2018. It was December of 2018. Yeah. Yeah, man. The thing with Trey Young, I'm pretty sure they spoke to him afterwards about Game Two or whatever the next game was at the Garden. Yeah, man. They needed. I I know there was there was a security conversation had with him because MSG, man, it's not. It's not like other places in the NBA, man. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, like the fans being close to the players is all cool. But in New York, yo, if you become like, if you try to do some Reggie Miller type shit, 
it could be your ass, man. You, you know, you, you might you, you you might have to swing on somebody. Trey Young is not trying to swing on nobody. Hey, yo, to be honest with you, man, especially New York was coming um, off of the pandemic, the lockdown. So a lot of people, they have not been outside in a while. So, yo, the fact that they was allowed to go outside again, people were extra turned up, man. And then Trey Young to antagonize everybody, man, to get on everybody's nerves on top of that, man, that was not a good look for him. You don't think so? I think as a Hawks fan... They're printing out shirts of him shashing the crowd. Oh yeah, it's it's a good look for you guys, but I'm I'm saying I'm talking about his safety. <laughs> his safety, like yo, best believe, man. Like there's a reason Dolan got undercover cops as security in the Knicks arena. Cause I I didn't even know. I thought most NBA arenas was like that too. I didn't know New York security was way different than like almost all the NBA arenas. Like the Knicks have real undercover cops. As security. Well, it's weird that you guys have that connecting part. How you have to walk from like the... How like whenever you walk into the arena, you're first at the shop part. And you have to walk across all the way back to the arena. Oh, yeah. They changed it. Hallway. Yeah. They recently changed it. Well, they changed it about like 10 years ago. When Amari Stoudemire had first came to the Knicks. That's when they they changed... Um, They actually renovated the arena. It's almost like they redid the whole arena, but it's the same arena. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's just an add-on. Not even an add-on. They, 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 they physically like dug everything out and just redid everything. It's almost like it was a brand new stadium. Like when you go into MSG, it's way different than what it used to be. It's almost like I don't want to say it's high tech, but like it's definitely decked out. I would say that for sure. I, they, they changed the shape of the arena too in the inside. I think it's like an oval now. The arena looks looks the same on the outside, but in the inside they redid it. I don't know how the fuck they did it, but they redid it. Yeah, um, I love. I used to love the uh, the two thousand the Carmelo Knicks era. I love that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, Steve Novak. That oh, yeah, that was a fun team. Hell, yeah. That next team was crazy. Um, they were unstoppable in 2K, too. What are and they that's, doing? What's crazy to me is how bad the Knicks have been, and so many people care about them, like you like you said it. Because I know you got a lot of people. I see Knicks fans all time. You guys make edits of every player in the Knicks jersey. Like, Knicks fans are hardcore yeah, I mean, it's just impressive to me because of how mediocre the team has been since Patrick Ewing in those days. I mean, you guys had a small run with Melo. Those teams were fun, like you said, but mm-hmm. you haven't had a team that feels like a championship caliber team. Like, those Melo teams were fun, like you said, but at no point did you really feel confident in you guys winning a championship during those years. But you know what it is? New York appreciates good basketball. Like, that's the thing. Like, as long as they see guys hustling, sliding on the floor, getting floor burns, you have to understand, that shit is what really turns on the Knicks, uh, the whole garden. When guys are, like, freaking running into the the, the, the crowd, slamming into the the, 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 the side, the, the side, um, the advertisements on the side, 
trying to die for a loose ball. That's what gets the energy of the arena. It's not necessarily the guy doing a crossover. It's like the fact that you grinded hard. Because you know why? Because at the end of the day, people that, that are in the arena, especially for 7-15 tip-off, they most likely left work. They had to fight and muscle in the train at rush hour to get to the arena. You know what I'm saying? So when they get to the arena and they see somebody hustling, just like how they hustle to get into the arena, they're, they they cheer that shit on extra, man. A lot has to do with a lot of it has to do with that because like like I'm watching the Minnesota Timberwolves game right now, right? A lot of Clipper fans were like, "This game is in Minnesota." A lot of these people they got into their cars and they just drove to the arena. Most like most of the times you're watching these Knicks games, people took the train there, especially if it's at seven fifteen. Oh my god, people took the train in rush hour, bro. There's mad traffic. You're not getting nowhere in no taxi. Most of the people in that arena, they either they either got to the arena really early or they 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 more than likely took the train. Yeah. And, yeah. And when you take the train around that time, six anywhere from five to, to seven to seven thirty, man, it's a battle. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a Royal Rumble, man. And and that's the reason why a lot of New Yorkers like you'll see the guys get love that don't score the most points. The Anthony Masons. The, the the Oakleys because they look like the city. They look like the motherfucker you just had to fucking fucking elbow real quick to get on the fucking train. That's why New York appreciates those guys so much. So there's no organized way of getting on the train. It's kind of like just first come first serve. Yeah, yo, you gotta like you gotta push. You know, you gotta push your way in, man. Sometimes with that shit, I'll be honest with uh-huh. you, man. Like. Sometimes you 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 already know, man. It's 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 a, it's a battle royal, man, to get in that train. All right, during rush hour, it's like everyone's trying to go home at the same time. That's the reason why you see the former Knicks teams that that resemble the city, the Grinders. That's the reason why they're so popular, man. The the the, the John Starks, the underdogs, the guys that grinded, you know, to to at least climb up the mountain maybe they didn't get to the mountaintop but you saw them fighting to get their space in the mountain that's the reason why the city resonates so hard with those teams yeah I, I, I've i always liked um, it's almost like I had a problem with the Knicks yeah it's almost Dude, like it's, it's almost like D-Wade it's almost like D-Wade you remember when D-Wade started dressing up like a Miami guy yeah. Yeah. My so Miami started like fucking with him because he looked like their city. D Wade had the flip flops. That's New York. New York is the same exact way. Once once you start being like a hustle and grind player, they fuck with you. You guys are really fans than Miami fans. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Miami, Miami, Miami Heat fans treat the the Heat games like the club. They show up like at like at like by the end of the second quarter, man. Yep, I've been I have so many friends that are Heat fans and live in Miami and like you said they show up late they only care when the team is really good mm-hmm. and when it's a flex to be at the game let, let me ask you a question when you was watching the game one with the Knicks and the Hawks in game one and game two last year in the playoffs did you did you not see how crazy that arena was I'm not sure from, from the Hawks broadcast was that game on ESPN I think it was uh huh. Yeah. Did you? Were you not like, damn? When 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 the Knicks are lit, the NBA is kind of different. 
No, I. That's what I'm saying, man. I love the. Uh, I like the Knicks just because of the just the history of the Knicks and like the history of New York and the relation of basketball in New York and it's just like it's almost like the Knicks should be good. You know what I mean? Like the Lakers should always be good. The Knicks always should be good. But I don't know. I do the NBA is a lot funner when the Knicks are good just because the fan base is so into it. Mm-hmm. So you guys make it like when Trey Young was beating you guys or whatever, even though we did beat you guys, New York had the best memes after every game. New York had the best reactions. New York, the fans were going viral after every game. But like you said, I don't know. New York just goes hard for the Knicks. And um, the Knicks the Nick fans definitely deserve better. Yeah, but, for sure. We'll see, man. See, I will say Atlanta does not. Atlanta does not. Atlanta games are if you don't go watch them play a star player, then nothing happens. And if you go watch them play, say you go watch them play the Lakers, you're going to see all you're going to see are people from suburban areas. Mm-hmm. wearing um, like the dad will be wearing like nothing basketball related and he'll have his four kids in LeBron jerseys and shit because the Hawks are playing the Lakers like or Steph Curry jerseys like but they live in Gwinnett County which is 20 minutes away from the Hawks or whatever you know you get what I'm saying yeah like, I feel you that's how a lot of the Hawks fans are but when the Hawks are playing really good, everyone claims to be a Hawks fan. But a lot of people I know that are into the NBA in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, we pick teams based off what player we grew up like. You know what I mean? When you're a kid, you pick a player that you like, your favorite fucking player of all time. Like, I'm sure whatever player you thought was your favorite player at five years old, that player is still your favorite player of all time. Am I right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It is what it is. Hopefully you guys get a balanced perspective on Cam and that NCAA hype machine, man. That's like the biggest promotion any basketball player could ever receive. As you can see from the Zion Williams situation. Even with that, the introduction to the audience or should I say the introduction to the NBA audience of a player is very important. Even though with the Zion Williams situation, it's pretty obvious that Ja Morant is the better player based on what they've done while they've been in the league. People still perceive Zion as a better pick because it's the way he's been introduced to the NBA audience. The same way Kevin Durant's been introduced to the NBA audience as a number two. He's always behind LeBron. He was a second overall pick. He was never introduced to the NBA audience as being that generational player. Even though we clearly see that he is a generational talent, but it's just the way he was introduced to the NBA audience and the marketing around him. He can never be the face of the league. But going back to Cam, it's gonna be a surgical summer for real because we're about to see how Leon Rose and the Knicks front office really feel about Cam before the start of next season. Tick, tick, tick. How much time he got that man is. It is what it is. Definitely, guys, sign up for the email list below. We will be going live for the NBA draft, so you can get the details on that. Everyone's welcome to participate. It'll be great to hear from some of you fellas. And until next time, you guys stay safe in these Rona streets. Peace. Surgical Summer Volume 1.